Hello, friends, and welcome to the show. This episode of HR Oxygen is brought to you by the Boss Builders. That would be us. Hey, for this year, we are really ramping up our training options. Now, post-COVID, we did a lot of virtual work. We had our Art of the Great Boss Masterclass. We had, I think, 15 or 20 different cohorts go through it, and we still have cohorts going through it today. It's a great program, one session a month for 13 months. But we also realize that audiences are ready for us to come back on the road and visit them at their house. And so we are implementing a couple of new programs. Well, they're not really new. Well, one of them actually is very new. The first one is our two-day driving results on-site management skills workshop. This involves learning how to manage people, learning about yourself, learning how to motivate, lots of exercises we do together, lots of opportunities to practice. Our second option, though, is a new hybrid option. And so what we wanted to do with this one is to establish an entire year with an organization. Three in-person, one-day on-site visits with virtual sessions in between. So in the in-person sessions, we can really work as groups. We can do some practice, some skill practice, and then we can touch base throughout the year with those individual virtual sessions. So that is our second option. We're obviously going to continue our Art of the Great Boss cohorts. But finally, you can also license and teach our curriculum. We've developed it to the point where really anybody could step in. There's a very robust train the trainer guide. I will also come on site and teach you how to teach the curriculum. So you could do it at your own time, your own pace, your own schedule. For information on all of these programs, just check us out online at thebossbuilders.com. You know, for many of us, we grow up and we say things like this. Hey, when I grow up, I want to be this or I want to do this. And then, of course, for many of us, this is what we actually do. But I know for some of us, whatever that thing is we thought we really wanted to do, it's kind of lost its shine. It's not as exciting as it used to be. And you're wondering, is this it? Is there anything else out there? Our guest today is Dr. Gary Crotaz. Now, Dr. Gary has a wonderful, amazing story, which he will be telling us here in just a moment. But he made a pivot that lots of people thought was crazy. And yet for him, he referred to it as his unlock moment. That unlock moment is something I think all of us will have maybe already experienced, or I think it's something to really, really look forward to. Folks, I thoroughly enjoyed this interview. This is probably one of my favorite episodes because I took something really important from it and really am thinking with a lot of anticipation about what this moment might look like. And I hope that you'll have the same reaction to this. Dr. Gary is the host of the very popular Unlock Moment podcast. He's also the author of The Ideal Mindset and the author of the upcoming book, The Unlock Moment. Dr. Gary is from the UK. You'll be able to tell that from his accent. But this was a really, really great episode. Just to hear his story, it'll make you think. And I think it'll make you excited for the possibilities to come. So I'm not going to say anything more. Let's let Dr. Gary do the talking. You know what your responsibility is. Let's make sure that personal item's tucked under the seat in front of you. Make sure your seatbelt is buckled low and across your hips. Time for us to taxi to the runway. Should the cabin lose pressure, oxygen masks will drop from the overhead area. Please place the mask over your own mouth and nose before assisting others. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast, the show focused on the overworked, overwhelmed, and underappreciated HR professional. 
And now, here is the host of our show, the boss builder, Mac Monroe. Dr. Gary Crotez, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really glad that we could chat today. Uh, the topic of today is something called the unlock moment. And because I don't even know what that means, I'm sitting here on the edge of my seat waiting to hear about it. We met, I guess, a few weeks ago. We chatted a little bit over the phone. And so today is the day we're going to be talking about the moment. So before we dive into that, I was hoping that you could share something about yourself with us. Tell us about your journey and what you're working on today. And then we're going to go ahead and move into the unlock moment. Well, it's a great way to start because I think when, when, when I came to landing on this idea of the unlock moment, it plays absolutely through my own career journey. So I started out, uh, I trained as a medical doctor in the UK. So I'm based just north of London in the UK. I trained as a doctor. I did a PhD. So I was on the MD PhD program in, here in the UK at the University of Cambridge. And I'd been at medical school for eight years doing my training, doing all the ward training, all of those kinds of things. And I suddenly realized late in my 20s that it wasn't what I wanted to do for my career. And I had an unlocked moment. We'll come back and talk about it a little bit later. But a, a moment of remarkable clarity that this wasn't the journey that I wanted to be on. I didn't know at that time what I did want to do. But I started to explore different things at that time. And I actually switched out from medicine. So instead of going into my first job in hospital, I went into the business world and I became a management consultant, strategy consultant. And I was in consulting for about 10 years uh, through to my late 30s. And then I figured out I should probably go get a proper job. And so I went and worked uh, for a retailer. And I joined the strategy team uh, in a global retailer specializing in mother and baby. So a competitor to, to a business like Babies R Us, one of those businesses, a really historic business in the UK called Mothercare, which is 50 years old. And I became group strategy director of that business and eventually on the executive team as their chief customer officer. So I was looking after the UK stores and the online business in, 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 in Mothercare. And I left uh, Mothercare, a very transformational time, very turbulent time in UK retail at, the, at that time. And I came out having done kind of two strategy cycles over the best part of six years and feeling pretty burned out. And at that stage, I thought, I really want to pursue the things that fascinate me. And I started to go into more of a portfolio career, did a variety of different things. And one of those things was I started working, for, did a maternity cover project for a luxury retailer called Selfridges Group. And Selfridges Group owns the Selfridges Luxury Department Store in London. It owns or owned the Holt Renfrey business in Canada. Um, and I joined that business on the 3rd of February 2020, going, what a great year we're going to have ahead. And in week five of that role, COVID hit and we closed the doors of the store. So again, I was back into retail crisis, um, you know, very well trained for it, but you know, that that's an environment I kind of felt like I'd done my time. And when I came out of that role in Selfridges Group, I thought, okay, if I was my own coach, because I was starting to coach at that time, what would I tell myself to do? And the answer is, do the thing you love and the thing that you are most passionate about, which is coaching. And so that's when I went and did my professional coaching uh, training and started my professional coaching business. And then over the over the following few years, I've been building a coaching, speaking, podcasting, kind of practice and my podcast is called the unlock moment so i interview people from all over the world but a lot of senior thought leaders in the u.s about what was your unlock moment what happened to you when you had this remarkable moment of clarity in your life or career and we'll come on to talk about that so that's what i do now wow so that 
and maybe this is where we're heading, but I need to go back to medical school. Now, I don't know how things work in the UK, but I can tell you medical school here. For one, it's not like I want to be a doctor. Oh, okay, well, you start medical school. It's highly competitive. Uh, one of my colleagues, uh, her husband is a physician and two of her adult children are, and the one completely brilliant, really, I mean, just to get in was a struggle and then really struggled. And so here you are going through that rigorous process and you decide you don't want to do it anymore. Hmm. Now that's crazy. So take us through that. I mean, did you kind of know when you got in, it may not be a good fit or was there something that happened along the way? And maybe this is where we're going with the unlock moment, but I'm still stuck back there. I'm, I'm not thinking about coaching just yet. I yeah. want to go back so to it's that. a good place to be. It's, good. it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a fascinating time because so, so, Medical school in the UK is a little bit different from the US because you go into it straight from school. So you're 18, you go to medical school. You don't have to do another another degree first. And the first three years of that training, you're in the lecture theatre, you're learning the science of medicine, and then you move into the clinical training, you're on the wards. And I did a, a very competitive program in the UK called the MBPhD, or similar to the MDPhD in the US. So in the whole of the UK, there were 12 places on the course that I did. Uh, so 10 in Cambridge, two in London. Um, and when I think back, I remember this intense feeling of, I'm not enjoying the thing I'm doing now, but that's because that's the bit that is dull and interesting. There'll be a thing around the corner which will be really exciting. So I remember sitting in the biochemistry lecture theater in my undergrad going, this is so hard. Like I'd done very, very well, at, really well at school. And I got into biochemistry and physiology and, and, and it was, it didn't make sense to me. And uh, it was a lot of study and I wasn't good. I figured out later, I wasn't good at acquiring vast reams of, of knowledge. That's what medical training is like. It's about acquiring, you know, sort of drinking the textbook, if you like. And then when we, I got into clinical training, you start doing these rotations. So you'll spend 12 weeks doing surgery and then you'll spend 10 weeks doing pediatrics and then you'll spend seven weeks doing psychiatry, something like that. And generally, as people start to go on those rotations, they find the thing and they think, that's what I want to do in my career. Ophthalmology, fascinating, love the patients, love the doctors, love the science of it. That's what I want to do. And the further and further and further through those rotations I went over the course of five years, I figured out none of those are things that I feel, they're all quite interesting, but none of them were things where I thought, that's the next 40 years of my career, doing that same thing in that same department. Um, at the time, it felt like fog. And now when I talk to people about the unlock moment, I go, the unlock moment is when in a moment, in a flash, the fog clears and you find clarity. And for me, the fog was, I am clear, I know that I don't, enjoy this but you're on a conveyor belt you know the 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 training of medical school is this year you'll be doing this next year you'll be doing that the year after you apply for your jobs the year after you're working in hospital you're, you're on that conveyor belt so there's never a moment where people say do you want to do this for a career because everybody's on the same path and my revelation moment was actually a revelation of saying literally this is the phrase that landed in my head fully formed you don't have to do this if you don't want to and that's not the same as saying you need to quit. It's mm -hmm. just the realization of you don't have to do this if you don't want to. And it opened up for me a new way of thinking about it to say, 
I can do this. I'm in a place now where if I choose to, I can continue on this path. And equally, if I choose to, I don't have to. Now, I don't know yet what else is out there. You know, medical school doesn't doesn't give you the the opportunity to say, well, go to the careers fair and explore all the different types of careers you can have. So I had to go and do that after that. But the unlock moment with the freedom of saying, you don't have to do this if you don't want to, and opening up that thing. So before then, I was I was in a tunnel, and mm -hmm. and feeling frustrated, feeling unfulfilled, feeling low energy, but I didn't know why, and I didn't I hadn't at that stage figured out what to do with that thought. It was just quite an all encompassing thought. So when you had that moment, how long before you made the choice to I guess go up to the the bursar or whoever and say, hey, I'm leaving school. And then how did all your family and friends handle that? Well, the time thing was interesting. So, and this is, I've heard this story now time and time again in talking to other people who've, who've, who've in their own ways in very different contexts but gone through this experience. The clarity is in the moment. And I just, and I say now when I, you know, I talk to other people who've had the experience, I say it was fog and is now clear and is then forever clear. So that clarity never goes away once you have that. So I knew at that point that I could do something else. From there to figuring out what I could do was probably another six months because it was the journey of going and exploring, going and talking to people, going to careers fairs, going and exploring different options. I couldn't tell the people who I was training with for another year because Medicine is not a career that you leave lightly. Lots of people uh, disapprove of the idea that you might do all of that training, you might invest all that time. In, in the UK, government funds a lot of your medical training costs, you know. So I didn't tell people that I was leaving until after I'd qualified. So I finished my exams and people said, well, but you haven't applied for a job yet. And I said, now I can tell you that actually I've decided to go do something different. But if I'd said that three months before qualifying, well, the people examining me were the people that would have had an opinion, a negative opinion on, on my choice. And so I had to sit on that. I had a job, offer, a job offer in February and I did my qualifying exams in June, July time. And between February and July, I couldn't tell anybody other than my closest family and friends that I was sitting on a job offer from a, for a firm. Um, telling people was interesting. My parents... Um, I said to them, I've decided not to be a doctor, which was a very high reputation career that they understood reasonably well. They're not doctors, but understood reasonably well. And I said, instead, I'm going to become a management consultant, which they didn't have any understanding of at all. And when they looked it up, it went from the highest reputation career to the lowest reputation career just above um, estate agents or realtors, you, you call it in the US. You know. Um, and I said, but actually... What I found when I went and talked to people in consulting is they solve problems without having all the knowledge. So they go into an organization, what they bring is a way of thinking. The people in the organization bring the 30 years of knowledge about their industry. What I figured out later was the fundamental difference between the way I think and the way great doctors think is great doctors are able to amass that volume of knowledge and for me, I'm at my best and I love what I do when I don't know, but none of, nobody knows. And so it's a, it's a, almost a knowledge-free environment. I mean, I have knowledge and build knowledge, but it's not about being the technical expert in the room. That's not me. 
I didn't know when I went into medical school the volume of knowledge you had to acquire. And I looked up later, how many new words do you learn in the course of a five-year medical degree? And the answer is 15,000 new words. That's the number of words, the names of the drugs, the names of the muscles, the names of the nerves, the names of the biochemical markers, 15,000 new words. And that's 10 new words a day for five years. And at the time, I didn't know that, but it felt like this, you were standing under a, under a torrent of knowledge and you do 10 weeks in a subject and then you move on to something new, psychiatry, and you were right back at square one because psychiatry doesn't relate to surgery. It's a completely different language. It's a completely different set of diseases. So constantly you're being thrown into a space where you know nothing and you feel under pressure and you feel massive imposter syndrome. Um, and I just thought, it's not for me. But it took me that long. It took me seven years through that journey doing a PhD as well to find that moment of clarity of I don't have to do this if I don't want to. And looking back, it feels so simple. But I know it wasn't simple because I went through it. Well, now, on the other hand, had I gone to medical school, I would have been failing. I would have been doing because I suck at math and science, if we're going to be honest here. And I could say, I don't have to do that if I really don't want to. And basically, I would be quitting because it's too hard for me. You, on the other hand, have already mastered it. You already can do it. And it's just a matter of when you're going to do it. And you just decide, I don't have to do that if I don't want to. That is fascinating. Was that the first time you can recall doing that? Because it suggests to me that you probably were wired like this. I would guess that you were probably not the traditional kind of younger student going into that if you have this moment of clarity later in life was this something that you've always kind of been like or was this the moment you became the dr gary that we have on the show today i think that if you ask people what i was like when i was growing up they would say that i was very broad and not focused in one thing so i was i was good at lots of different subjects i was good at languages, I was good at sciences, I was good at figuring out problems. Um, I wasn't somebody who gave an indication to the direction of travel I was going to go in by who I was, for example, in my teenage years. So, you know, there's there's lots of kids you see growing up and this one's really creative and this one's really into the outdoors and this one's really, you know, analytical. And for me, I, I wasn't any of those things. And so I didn't have a kind of clear steer so I could have gone in lots of different directions and I in 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 a in a way I guess I look back and think it would have been easier if I'd had more of a kind of purpose or or vision from an early age that always was true one of my brothers is a vet and you know as he was growing up you know he uh, grew butterflies in a box in his bedroom and he looked after some injured hedgehogs in, in, in the garden and then he went and did work experience at the vet and he went to vet school, trained as a vet and he's still a vet and you know that kind of journey and he's been incredibly successful but it was always clear from the age of about 10 or, or so that that was the direction of travel he was going to go in and I think that what I what I see now when I, when I when I meet some really quite extraordinary people is I meet quite a lot of people who are also like this. I do meet many people. Um, I interviewed recently the 2012 Nobel Prize winner, Dr. Robert Lefkowitz, um, on, on the podcast. And he describes 
a real clear thread that pretty much from he went to medical school as well but he he quickly identified that he loved life in the lab and he's been in the lab now for 50 years doing remarkable work but then i meet other people who who say well i just figured out at some point i wanted to follow the thing that makes me happy and fulfilled now in this moment and they let go of chasing a thing they think they're supposed to be doing i think i never felt that i never felt this is the thing i'm i'm supposed to do and i therefore ought to follow that path i i felt i will do the thing that makes me happy and makes me fulfilled and i will take the consequences of the choices that i make to be on the path that i choose to be on everything in that statement is total ownership by you and and that's powerful because in the unlikely event that it fails dr gary you who who are you going to blame you got nobody else you can blame for your situation and i think for some people there's a a little comfort in that but it's all on you if you fail you got nobody else to blame are you comfortable with that i am and that i'm i'm drafting in mainly in my head and a little bit sketched on pieces of paper uh, a book uh, called the unlock moment where i'm going to bring to life some of the stories of some of the people and one of the chapters i all i've got at the moment is the chapter headings and one of the chapter headings is called alone with others and it's that this idea that yes you've got people around you who support you who guide you who mentor you who who are your safety net and at the same time in the middle of that crowd of people you are alone and you have to be alone to have that moment you know no one else could be there for me to say you don't have to do this if you don't want to and no one else could make the decision for me to go I'm going to leave behind 8 years medical career and I didn't go into a career focused on medicine lots of people who leave medicine work in the pharmaceutical industry or they work as a you know maybe a physiotherapist or you know in an allied profession i i went and i worked in the rail industry and i worked in private equity and then eventually i worked in retail and now i work in coaching now there is a thread which i figured out later and the thread is making a difference that i always felt like i wanted to make a difference i just didn't feel that the only way i could do it was as a doctor that was the thing so so i've always felt that that i wanted to do things that that um motivated me that engaged me that i felt i was passionate about i figured out later that when i looked at the choices i made at each fork in the road it came back to making a difference for people one person or many people it didn't have to be many many people if it was one person it was enough so let's go to your career transition and so you've now left medical school you've told your family i'm going to be a management consultant and so from what i heard you're more comfortable with the fact that in management consulting it's okay to go in not knowing anything and letting the process of digging in educate you now that seems very different from that of medicine because as a management consultant you're saying I'm not sure what's going on here let's dig in when I go see the doctor I don't want to hear I'm not sure what's going on I want to hear oh you've got this here here's the pills and maybe that's where medicine has gone to its own extreme I can only answer about medicine here in the US but now it's like oh here take this you know oh you got back pain here take some antidepressants well how about we dig in and figure out where the back pain might be coming from would be kind of the management consultant in me 
rather than, oh yeah, because I learned a long time ago. You can't just walk in and say, oh, seen this a hundred times before. We do this, this, and this, your problem solved. It's very different. Do you enjoy that part of that, the uncertainty and the excitement of the treasure hunt more than you did of the pre-program, like you have these symptoms, here's this, the thing. Is, are you following? Yeah, I kind of lost I know, track I, of where I was going. No, <laughs> I think, I think that my way of thinking would have suited medicine a longer time ago when it wasn't all known, when there wasn't the evidence base, when there wasn't the protocol-led prescribing, which has dramatically improved medicine. So if you go into hospital now and you are 49 year old, years old with a family history of heart disease and you've got chest pain, you know, then the science says and the collective experience of the global medical community says that you should be on this tablet first and if it doesn't work you should be on that tablet and that's great because now everybody gets the best treatment where before it was dependent on the experience of the doctor in front of you but what that's meaning more and more and more is that medicine is going the way of not necessarily chat gpt but it's going the way of it takes it less away less to the judgment of the doctor in front of you except in the very rare circumstance and more into evidence-based practice that's that's a good thing but for the doctor that is less mentally stimulating it's less challenging for me and I've always found this then through my through my career since and now with the people that I work with in coaching I'm fascinated by the unsolvable problem I'm fascinated by the person that comes to me for coaching and they say I've had coaching before and it didn't help it didn't work and they're looking for something different they're looking for something that really makes a difference for them and they've tried all of the, the obvious things to do and it hasn't worked and I say to people that's when you want to come and talk to me when you've tried the obvious things because there are many other great coaches out there um, and there are people who will work in a in quite a prescribed way or quite a standardized way um, and that's great and and for me I like to work with people where they're, they're trying to do something extraordinary or they're trying to do something that is that is quite difficult to reach. And I felt that through my through my whole career in the business world, I was fascinated by the problems people couldn't solve um, because then I thought it was it was just interesting to me. It was just interesting to me. And I've done a lot of work with with the Gallup Clifton Strengths Assessment. I'm a trained Gallup coach. My number one talent theme in, in Gallup Clifton Strengths is Maximizer. And in Maximizer, you're uninterested if the thing is not at a good level already. And you're uninterested if you don't see a way to make it world class. You're not interested in beating somebody else. You're not interested in, in beating your last score on something. You're just interested in it being the most amazing thing it can possibly be. And that's what drives me. I figured that out 10, 15 years ago, but partway through my business career, I was introduced the idea of strengths. And then suddenly, lots of things that had been clear to me in my mind, but I didn't understand why, now I understood why, because I understood that there are people who are great analysts, there are people who are great at acquiring information, there are people who love learning. I don't particularly... I'm, I'm not that person. I like solving complex problems. I like simplifying things down to remarkably simple solutions. I like uh, 
doing things that are extraordinary that other people don't think are possible. That's what motivates me. Um, and I figured that out later in my career. So I think that what I learned from that is that the more you can understand yourself, the more you can figure out the path that you should take. And that takes deep self-reflection and probably a few external tools and a bit of coaching along the way. I, I can only imagine. So let's talk about the really the unlock moment. So you, you shared your unlock moment. Is it possible to have a couple of those or do you get one per lifetime? Because I, I can think of what I think my unlock moment was. It was completely trajectory changing. And it was, and even very subtly, your question, you don't have to do this if you don't want to do it. And I did that 13 years into what should have been a 20-year Navy career. And everybody says, you're insane. All you got to do is five more years and you get a pension. That's all you got to do. And in my mind, I thought, no, I don't need to do that. Now, that said, I feel like I, that, that was a big one, but I think there's still one more out there. Do we only get one or can you have a few? Are there like some unlock moments versus the big one or do you get a couple of big ones? I think you can have more than one, but I do talk a lot to people. When I talk to people and, and say, tell me about what you think is the unlock moment. And they'll say, well, I figured this out. That was an unlock moment. And I figured this other thing out. That was an unlock moment. And what they're describing is little micro moments of clarity along the way, which is helpful. And then I say, but what was the unlock moment? And you might have more than one. But the unlock moment is 20 years later, you can still remember where you were, who you were with, what you were thinking in that moment when that clarity happened. It's a clarity that turned fog into absolute clarity that forever remained clear. So it was a pivot point, and it's a pivot point that more than figured out the path ahead, it defines you. So for me, that choice that I made, that clarity, that, that realization I had in my late 20s, defined that I was a person open to remarkable change and willing to jump off a cliff and trust that my parachute was going to open. That's what it felt like in, in, in that moment. And it's always meant since then that major shifts haven't felt as daunting as they do to other people who haven't made those kind of shifts. So, you know, you're, you're describing your, your example coming out of the Navy. It, it sounds like that. It's a defining moment. And if you can remember not the moment where you took action, but the moment when the clarity appeared, which may be at a different time, then maybe that is the unlock moment. So there's an example. Um, Michael Leibrandt, who uh, is recently left the Gallup organization, but she was at Gallup for 14 years, and she was the co-host of the Theme Thursday podcast. So if you go on to, if you've done your Clifton Strengths and you go onto the Gallup YouTube channel, then she and Jim Collison have done all of their videos. So she's probably one of the most famous coaches in the world. They've had millions of downloads. And I talked to her and she was in a broadcast career before she went to Gallup. And she said, my unlock moment, I was in my broadcast career. I was looking at the next steps in terms of the internships and so on I should do. And I was sitting in a traffic jam in a Toyota Camry in the rain at a stoplight. And the car in front of me was a Jeep. And on the back of the Jeep was a like a tire cover and on the tire cover it said um, 
on the tire cover it said life is good and she said i just sat there staring at this tire cover and and going that's what i'm supposed to feel and my life doesn't feel like that what am i going to do and then an opportunity came for her to walk through the door of gallop and do help with the thing it wasn't even a job i don't think and she took it up because she sat in that traffic jam and she saw that those words life is good and that isn't what i'm experiencing and it completely changed the path of her career um there's another person that i interviewed who's actually somebody that worked for me years and years ago she's called hayley thomas um and her husband was diagnosed with stage three bowel cancer at around the age of 40 and she said in that moment it was obviously hugely traumatic for the family he's he's gone on to recover and he's he's fine now but at that moment she said it's traumatic for the family two young children and she turned around to him and she said i always felt like we had time but maybe we don't have time so maybe we shouldn't put off the things we want to do and the thing she's always wanted to do was to launch her own online fashion brand and so in the middle of chemotherapy for stage three bowel cancer and two young children, the two of them decided that she was going to launch a fashion business, it, you know, from home alongside a day job that was paying the bills. Um, and that business is called 11 Loves. And it's now got, I looked this morning, 67,000 followers on Instagram. And it wouldn't have started if he hadn't been diagnosed. And her thinking had pivoted from, there'll always be time to maybe there isn't always time. And it's such what I what I find talking to, to people from all different walks of life is the unlock moment is completely different for all of them. It's all in different contexts. And yet there are common themes that you can you can draw through all of them. And I think I want to do two things. I want to tell the story of that and bring to life something that i find is is fascinating and it plays to my idea of of trying to dig into something that is in some way unsolvable an unlock moment by its definition is something that you don't see coming you know when when i had that that reflection of of i don't have to do this if i don't want to i didn't see that coming it landed fully formed in in, in my head people i talked to they you know michael was sitting in a traffic jam uh and and seeing that life is good. She wasn't thinking that before. But I do think that there are things that you can do to play your card so that you are more likely to find that clarity. And it's something about the deep self-reflection, knowing yourself, knowing what you're naturally good at, knowing what holds you back, knowing what your biases are, knowing what your passion and purpose is. If you start to understand those things, then the clarity I think is more likely to come but I don't know that I can prove that I don't know that I can predict it but I feel like it's like you know playing a hand of cards and you know playing the percentages and saying well if I'm looking for the clarity that helps me to shape a future that that I feel passionate about that I love doing what I'm doing then Often it's going to come to these unlocked moments where you let go of something. In that moment, you let go of the thought. You let go of the, the thing you're holding on to, and it gives you a freedom to be able to 
take the choices that are really important. I love that because I was going to ask, is there any way that we could, you know, I hear people say, well, you have to like put something out to the universe and then it comes out. Or like for me, I've been thinking about one day wanting to get a convertible Camaro, a yellow one. And it seems like every time I see, well, there's a yellow convertible Camaro. It's almost like, now I think that's just pure chance. But it sounds like if we know ourselves well enough that we're open for when the moment happens. Is, am I correct in that or am I kind of off? No, I think that's I wanna, right. I want to I want to make one of these happen. I, I am, I'm open because I'm toward the end of this career and I'm not ready just to go, you know, sit on the front porch and smoke my pipe all afternoon. Um, but it's that self-awareness, I guess, is the key, right? I'll tell you the story of the person that made me think this is called the unlock moment. So I'd written my first book, which is called The Idea Mindset. And The Idea Mindset is about, uh, it's a self-coaching journey, it's exercises, it's thinking, it's inspiration to help you figure out your identity and direction for a future with engagement and authenticity. That's the IDEA, The Idea Mindset. And basically it's about figuring out a future that you love and that connects with the values and purpose. It's helping you to figure out, well, what do I care about? What does matter to me? What team do I need around me? What plan do I want to put in place? And I was taking people through a coaching journey where they were doing homework exercises. And the second person I ever put through that journey was an actor, and he's called Samuel Horton. And he's the first interviewee on my podcast, The Unlock Moment. And Sam was working with me over about a period of 18 months. And he landed on the big question that he was trying to figure out this was the pivot point for him. Do I go left or do I go right? On the left was I pursue success. He was an actor and people around him were saying, you need to go from being in a fringe theater production to being in a main theater production. You need to go from ensemble to unstudying a lead to then being the lead. You need to go on an international tour. When you've been on an international tour, you go into the West End or Broadway and then you win an Olivier Award. That's your path, clear. And that path, you earn reasonable money if you do if you're successful on the right hand path was pursue happiness do the thing that you love doing even if it makes you no money even if it doesn't make you famous even if it doesn't make you successful and he grappled with that because he knew that by pursuing happiness as a jobbing actor you know the money can be cripplingly small um and so he said i just don't know that i'm open to sort of throwing my career to to fate and saying well I might never move out from my parents house because I might never make the money to do that and he grappled with it and he sat on it for it was about something like four months and he said on the podcast he said my conversations with you were intensely frustrating because he said you wouldn't let me not think about that choice and we would come back and come back and we'd work it through again and I couldn't find the answer. And I was, I was just wanting you to tell me what the answer is and you wouldn't tell me what the answer was. And then he was in Korea and he was doing the international tour of the School of Rock musical. He was in the ensemble. And he texted me at four o'clock in the morning and he said, I've got it. And I answered my phone uh, and I said, what is it? And he said, I want to pursue happiness. Do you think that's the right answer? And I gave a very non-coaching response because a, non a good coaching response would have been, well, what do you think and how do you mm -hmm. figure it out? I said, yes. 
He said, why so short? I said, because you texted me at four o'clock in the morning and I know how long you've been grappling with that. And in that moment, and this is, this is when I first went, this is an unlock moment. This is the fog clearing and it will forever be clear. He went, I want to pursue happiness. I want to let go of other people telling me that this is success. This is what I should pursue. And he started making different choices. He just, he went to the auditions that he wanted to do. He went into those auditions and he performed the way he wanted to perform. And he let go of worrying about whether they liked it or not. And what was interesting, and it wasn't guaranteed this was going to happen, but he went on and that path to become more successful than he's ever been in his acting career, letting go of the success path. And this September, so this, this conversation goes back a couple of years, this September he joins the cast of Phantom of the Opera in the West End of London, um, and it's his first main West End London role. Um, and it's amazing. And he holds on today and he says, that's what I'm doing. I'm pursuing what makes me happy. And of course, wow. to everybody else watching him, that's what they see and that's what they love. So it's, it's, it's what I love about this idea is it can work for everybody. It's not an idea for senior executives. It's not an idea for Nobel Prize winners. It's an idea for everybody to say, you know, you've got to give it time and you've got, got to not rush it. So for Sam, he, it took him four to six months of sitting on that question, being deeply frustrated, wanting an answer. And since then, I coined this phrase, you can't think to a deadline. You know, we are used to going through life going, here's the task I have to do. I've got to do it by Friday. I'll plot out my time and I can do a task to, to a deadline. But if I say to you, you've got to figure out whether you want to pursue success or happiness by Friday, well, mm. you don't be able to do that. You've got to sit on that question. And when you know, you'll know. So... I say time is a gift. And in that gift, you've got to give yourself the time. It's the most powerful part. That's great. Well, Gary, I have thoroughly enjoyed this time we've spent together. I feel like I'm now I know what the unlock is. I'm, I'm opening up to it because it sounds exciting. And I hope that if you're listening to this today, you are excited about that as well. So the last thing we got to figure out is, Gary, if somebody wants to be coached by you, if they want to get copies of the books, especially the one that's coming out, that's the one I can't wait. Is there any ETA on when that one might be uh, launched? I've got to start writing it. I think it's going to be a little while. It's going to be Well, it's already being written in your head. It's a matter of when the thing gets out, right? It's written on some paper, but but nowhere near a publisher as yet. Uh, But it's coming. Um, All right. Well, that will be worth the wait. I'd be delighted for people to reach out. So... Uh, I have a website, which is at garycrotaz.com. That's C-R-O-T-A-Z.com. You can reach me on LinkedIn as well. Uh, The Unlock Moment is my podcast, and I interview people from all walks of life uh, and some of the top coaches in the world about Unlock Moments, how to find them, what their experiences are. And that's at theunlockmoment.com and on all major podcast platforms. Um, And then the book, The Idea Mindset, uh, came out last year. And it's available in physical book, ebook, or audio book on Amazon and all major bookstores. Uh, stock the idea mindset as well. Excellent. Well, Gary, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to chat with us today. We really appreciate it. If you're listening, please take some time to look up Dr. Gary Crotaz. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks, Mac. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for taking the time to listen to another episode of the HR Oxygen podcast. 
I hope you enjoy listening to these as much as I enjoy making them. I've learned so much from the guests we've had on the show over the past few years, and I hope that you will continue to listen to us regularly. If you are a subscriber on any podcast app or channel, would you do us a favor and take a moment and leave us a review? We would really, really appreciate it. Also, if you have the time, check out all the offerings we have on our website, which is thebossbuilders.com. We have every other month a Sherm Credit webinar that we present, as well as a ton of other events, not to mention our Art of the Great Boss and Art of Being a Great Teammate programs. More information on that site today. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen, and we'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Oh, by the way, you may want to unbuckle that seatbelt. I think we just arrived at the gate. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast. We hope you found something today that will relieve your stress, feed your soul, and pump you up to face another day. At Boss Builders, we want to let you know that we appreciate the hard work you do every day as an HR professional. And as a reminder, always make sure to adjust your own oxygen mask before attempting to help those around you. Be well. <laughs>